Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media. It's important to say that this is not just about grabbing data and bringing it together. It needs to be led by the customer. It needs to be a better experience for the customer. If it's not ultimately driven by the customer experience, they'll stop handing their data over. Hello, I'm Stacey Gota, Portfolio Director at Ashton Media and your host of this new Ashton Cast series, Reimagine Marketing, brought to you by our friends at SAS, Leaders in Analytics. These are short, sharp stories and solutions to the biggest challenges in marketing, advertising, media, and CX. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and comment and tell anyone that you know that is interested in this industry about this podcast and your favorite episode. You can find Ashton Cast on all of the major podcast players, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Acast, Stitcher, and more. I'm thrilled to have Sam Stark, Head of Data and Analytics, Marketing and Sales at Foxtel with us on Ashton Cast. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. Thank you, Stacey. Good to be here. Yeah, great. Um, so let's kick off by exploring the evolution of marketing over the last few years. It's such a rapidly changing landscape. Um, how have you seen marketing evolve and develop in line with the evolution of technologies such as AI and, and automation? Yeah, pretty drastic change over the last sort of decade, I guess, and all driven, of course, by the digitization of everything, really, and that that um, opens up the opportunity for one-to-one communication and personalization, and I think that's the biggest change in, in personalization. And from a marketer's point of view, uh, every marketer needs to be literate in all things digital these days. It's no longer a specialty. I remember when I started back in the media world, um, I was in a digital team and we were the bit on the side, the sort of afterthought, maybe a bit of dessert if there was some leftover money, uh, but not the case anymore. Digital, and, and that was because of the lack of scale um, that digital offered. Now there is that scale in digital, so it becomes the first part of the conversation and not just the scale, but also that that one-to-one addressability, bringing those two things together is pretty powerful. So I think finally the, this... Um, Technology, the, the promise of this technology is coming to life and we're starting to see some real benefits. Mm, definitely. Mm. And, and thinking more specifically about the applications of automation within a marketing function, why does automation become a key investment for both the efficient use of resources, um, but also in enhancing your ability to better communicate and understand your customers? So I, I think automation is pretty simply about scale, the ability to scale. Uh it's really easy, I think, to create a wonderful personalized experience for your customers if you can count your customers on one hand. Um, if you've got a million customers, it's a very different story. You can't craft that personal experience manually. You need automation to deliver on that. And we've got, um, you know, the the big digital organizer, Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon, that have been built from the ground up with that capability, that um individual customer view, personalization being at the heart of it. But it's not just the, the, the big ones. They're endless list of, of startups and new businesses that have been the, uh, built the same way. So for businesses like mine, where we've got a legacy traditional business that we need to shape, um, there's a real expectation from customers that we, we get on that journey and we deliver that personalized experience. So um, if we think about uh, a couple of examples of why automation's so important with that process. So let's say you land on a website and and that page you land on is personalized. So um, 
that that's a pretty complex process. There are potentially hundreds of variables uh, on that customer or, or what they're saying. But not not just that. You want if you're really doing it properly, you want to be thinking about um, who they are, but uh, how they've interacted with the business in the past. Perhaps how they've interacted with third-party brands, if that data is available, um, and also what they've done immediately before. So what have they done on the page before? So that you know, again, if you think about manual processes, you can't sit there and, and think about what this customer is doing and try and anticipate it real time. So obviously, automation is essential for that scale at a customer level, and I, I think. Even on on simple marketing execution, say um, pay-per-click um, search, where um, it, it is a pretty simple process. You write some copy, maybe a couple of lines of copy, and you put in a search term. But when you when you start to scale that out, and you've got hundreds of different um, search terms, or thousands, or tens of tens of thousands, and different copy executions, you get up to some uh, a very large number of combinations that might come to play. And and again, that can't be done manually. You need automation to deliver on that. Yeah. And how have you implemented automation processes at Foxtel? Yeah, we've done uh, a lot of stuff, a couple of things that spring to mind, a more, more trigger-based journey. So uh, rather than um, planning a campaign for a customer, but setting up a situation where if a certain thing happens, uh, that then they get an automated message. So perhaps they've gone, they've joined and it's four weeks in and they haven't connected their box to IP, to the internet. Um, and the, the experience is much better when they do connect. So we want them to connect. So there's a potentially something that goes out there um, to help them with that process. Um, and we also do a bit of the website personalization that I mentioned. Uh, yeah, so a range of different things. Mm. Just going off, off piste a bit here, um, you mentioned, you know, as a legacy business, having to, to implement these processes. What are the challenges that you have faced or, or Foxel has faced or a legacy business will face in, you know, creating some of those processes? There are lots of challenges uh, and these sorts of businesses have been built to thrive in a world where broadcast communication is the norm, uh, they're, they're very different skills back in the past and in the future, so changing skills around um, digital channels, uh, around um, personalisation that I've mentioned, just the, the tools and assets in the business, the, the way IT and infrastructure is set up, the, the list is endless. There, there are a lot of things that need to change and it's not easy, but I think we're giving it a good good crack. Yeah. And the results are worth it in mm. the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah they're, they're, we don't really have a choice. We, yeah. we have to, <laughs> yeah. to change to survive. And I think we're yeah well on the on that journey. Yeah. yeah. Great. Um, and shifting gears a little bit now to think about attribution modeling, which is obviously another core component of any, any marketing strategy, you know, ensuring that we're investing our marketing efforts in the most efficient and effective ways possible. Um, how can we work towards best practice attribution modeling that allows us to both, you know, ensure that most effective marketing mix? Yeah. So uh, attribution modeling, I think is a really interesting space. It's, it's something that I think lots of people and, and businesses are not doing very well. Uh, and that's not really a criticism. I think that's not surprising because it's very, very hard to do well, uh, attribution modeling. So a lot of people talk, particularly in digital space, around attribution modeling. And, and in many cases, I wouldn't actually describe what they're doing as modeling. I think it's more just a case of setting some rules in place. So um, last click or first exposure, whatever variation you choose to to apply. Um, and that's pr a pretty subjective process. That's not really um, allowing machines to help you work out what is working. Um, I, I understand why it's done, but it's it's certainly not best practice in my view. Th then if we step out a bit more broadly to um, market mix modeling or econometric modeling, uh, 
typically applied when the broadcast channels involved. Um, that is modeling, uh, true modeling, uh, but again, it's not perfect. It's it's a really slow process. Data collection is um, is hard. It's typically a, a sort of manual process to get things together. Uh, and the results are typically very aggregated, that uh, high level sort of TV worked or TV didn't work type of um, scenario. Um, so I, I think with that in mind, we, we need to get better at attribution modeling. If we want to look at best practice, really the best way in my view to do this sort of thing is uh, to design experiments. So here is one thing we want to test. Let's say it's a, an offer on the website. Um, so we have a test group and we have a control group. So these two groups are exactly the same, the same profile of customer, um, the same exposure to different attributes, except for the one thing that we're testing. Uh, so let's say it's the offer on the website, the, the test group land and they get a free shipping if they order today. Uh, the control group, um, exactly the same web page, uh, exactly the same way to get there, same search terms, same media exposure, but they don't get that offer. So as long as you've designed those two groups well and they are um, very similar, except for that one difference, then you can accurately understand what is the impact of one, that one difference. Um, so that, that's when things become very powerful. The, the obvious challenge is those experiments take time to set up. They require scale of transactions. Um, so that's why uh, automation, AI, and so on um, are so important in that that process. So it's a journey that we're on and, um, you know, it, it's, again, it's not easy, but I think that's, that's what we will move towards away from more subjective approaches to measurement to, uh, really a neutral approach where we, we allow the machines to help us work through that process. And so that attribution data is obviously incredibly important in decision making, as is the whole host of, of other data that we have about our customers and how they interact with us. How are you and your team at Foxtel unlocking the true power and potential of that customer data? Yeah, I think we are really early on that journey. I think most businesses are. We, um, half of my team are um, insight analysts. We have an insight team uh, and we have uh, a very long list of questions that the, that team is working on. The, the challenge is not coming up with things to investigate. The challenge is deciding which ones are going to deliver the most value for the business. Mm. So um, typically those are hypotheses that we uh, we think this is happening or um, we we think this campaign will have this result. Does it actually have that result? Or we're worried that this might happen if we do that. Did that actually happen? So um, they might be very big, broad business questions. What What is the impact of um, the end of the sports season on Foxtel customers? Uh, or it might be very granular questions on campaign performance. Why did this little thing happen? We didn't expect that to happen. So... Yeah, it's it's a fun journey. I love the fact that there are different questions every day, um, and I, I think there's a um, really interesting future in applying that stuff. So AI is something you know we've been hearing about for several years now. Where do you think its real potential lies regarding you know how we engage with our customers? In my experience, if you talk to people about AI, they, they get this image in their head of a robot sitting there and looks like a human and talks like a human and thinks like a human. But I think AI is, is much simpler than that. So although we're not seeing robots sitting around the office, we are using AI extensively at a more grassroots level. Building models is the, the typical approach. Uh, we machine learning-based models around uh, churn, for example, or propensity modeling and so on. We And I think people are not 
always aware when these models are being used. They're, they're sort of pieces that are plugging into a bigger picture. So it's not like AI comes in waving a flag saying, this is AI, isn't it amazing? It's just one little bit that changes. Um, so that model might get plugged into a broader marketing process. And it's not uh, end-to-end AI. It's it's different pieces that are getting put together. So definitely we're, we're seeing more and more of that. Um, and I think from a marketing point of view, we're on this journey from campaigns where we, we ran a campaign and then you stop and you think about what's the next campaign to the role of a marketer being to create um, a framework, uh, um, a system that uh, where you, you plug in a library of offers and content and messages and um, pricing and, and so on. And, and the system sort of guides the customer through that journey. So if the customer slows down, they need a bit of help to keep going. The system can can help work out what's the right way to to guide that uh, customer through the journey further. So yeah, early days, but um, I, we're, we're definitely on that road. Is AI something you're experimenting with personally at Foxtel? Yeah, we, we've got a few things going on. We, we're doing some trials with bots in our call centre uh, to help make that process more efficient, be a little bit less reliant on the people, particularly for more common scenarios. That's going well. It's early days, definitely, but I can see a lot more of that happening. Uh, we, we also use AI uh, or machine learning a lot in our data science and modelling space. We've got a number of different models. Say, uh, I mentioned churn model before, so... We, we can use um, uh, this modeling to understand or, or accurately predict the likelihood that someone will churn in a given time period. So what, what's the likelihood this customer will churn in the next 90 days? And that's pretty powerful for a business like ours where we can then tailor the way we communicate to that customer as a result. So uh, maybe we need to fix a problem that they've faced. Maybe uh, it's a different ma- mix of um, the package or the price that they're they're seeing, or perhaps um, it's a new piece of content that will entice them to stay. And there's also the flip side. So we know the people that are at high risk of churning. We also know the people who are at low risk of churning. We, we um, at Foxtel, we've got a history of using um, pricing and offers probably more than we should and, and in a sort of scattergun price uh, approach. And uh, this sort of modeling allows us to be a lot more targeted with the use of those types of things, not using offers where we don't need to uh, and making sure that the solution we're giving a customer is the right one for for them, not just something that we give everyone. And and there are significant cost benefits for doing that. Yeah, of course. And knowing where to you know invest extra time to keep a customer who is at risk of churning is so valuable. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Yeah. And um, so as we continue to to reimagine what marketing looks like over the next few years, what's next for our customers regarding the ways in which we'll communicate with them? How how will that continue to evolve? I really hope we'll be smart enough to bid farewell to those stalking retargeting ads where you buy something and they advertise you the same thing for the next three weeks. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> but I mean, but seriously, I think brands will improve their ability to anticipate customers' needs, uh, respond in real time, not just uh, that you know delayed week, month later type approach, but real time. Uh, and when I talk to tech people in my business, real time is real time. It's not just the same day. Um, so that that's an, an opportunity. And as I've said a few times, the personalized experience, it's, it's really, I think, all comes down to personalization and not personalization to the extent where, where we're giving them exactly what the machine says they should do next, but allowing for some serendipity, that, that discovery element of, um, you know, engaging with a customer, something that they, they might want to try something new. And that's a good thing, I think. Um, but I, if we take a, a step 
even further forward, I mentioned before the robots that look like people. Uh, if we think about a call center, uh, we, we have big call centers and I, I think there's a very real scenario where someone, a customer calls up a, a video call, they join a video call with a customer, um, a, an agent, a, um, and that agent is a machine. It's a, a, a robot, so to speak. That agent looks very much like a real person, um, and the customer wouldn't know that any different that they're they're talking to uh, a machine. And there's, that's um, important from an efficiency perspective. But there's, I think, a real benefit in the longer term in engaging with that customer. So, in real time, that um, agent can be tailored to the person that's calling in. So it, it might be that. Uh, the age of the agent or the gender or the clothing or the accent of the agent are tailored to the person that's calling in so that that person feels like they're getting talking to someone they can relate to. They have a, a real strong understanding. And as AI improves, we will get to the point where that that robot, so to speak, can have a, a really genuine um, engaging conversation uh, and ha- has the nuances of um, emotion and so on to, to fully engage with, with that customer. And I think that's really powerful for a few reasons. It's it's a better customer experience because it's tailored to them. You're not just getting whichever agent picks up the phone. Uh, it's fully scalable. So lots of businesses, we all would have seen, you know, you call up customer service during COVID and, oh, we're experiencing a higher number of calls. We can't answer your call because we've only got a certain number of people in the call center or perhaps the people are locked at home and setting up the kit and can't take calls. So whatever the issue, when it's... Uh, um, an AI solution sitting there. You can scale that. You can go to 100,000 calls if you want to, no, no issues. Um, and then it, it becomes more cost efficient. Yeah, there might be some setup costs up front to get it right, but you take an extra call, an extra 10 calls, an extra 100 calls, there's no extra cost. Whereas if you've got people sitting there, there's, there is a significant cost to take extra calls. So that's a little bit further than a couple of years, but mm. I, I think that's a real scenario that we might see. Yeah, especially as you know, the focus very very much now is on on delivering really meaningful and authentic experiences and, and engagement with your customers. And that's a great way to do that, mm. you know, at scale. Yeah, look forward to it. Yeah. Um, so we're going to mix things up a bit now and move into some more rapid fire questions. So who would you look up to as a mentor or role model in this industry? Yeah, I'm not going to give you a name or a, <laughs> a person. I'm not really one for labeling a, a few people as as best in class. I, I sort of, I take inspiration and guidance everywhere, not just in the office or in, in, um, in industry or workplace, but you know, go go down to the shops, supermarket, buying something in the queue, uh, and perhaps the way that that checkout operator interacts with you might trigger a thought for what we could do in in our space, or um, you know, just walking down the street, exposure to people, but also innovation. So it might be new startups and a crazy new idea they've come up with, uh, or it may be just talking to my kids and they, why don't, why doesn't this happen? Well, that's a good question. Why doesn't that happen? Maybe we should do that. That sort of thing so yeah I, I i get lots of inspiration from everywhere yeah yeah that's great inspiration in the everyday mm. and what books or podcasts do you consume right now that you know is helping you in your day-to-day work right now to <laughs> to be honest uh not much um i i think we're in a bit of a different space at the moment where you know, I, I haven't set foot in our office for four months and I'm the way I work, I like human interaction. I, I value the face-to-face. So I tend to spend most of my day on video calls uh, with various different 
team members, stakeholders, um, and so on. So I get to the end of the day and I really want to switch off. I need a break. So I've, I've quite consciously been steering away from sort of industry content and so on um, just for this period. And so I'm, I'm spending a lot of time sort of uh, improving the house, renovation type stuff and, and more time with the kids at the moment. Yeah, it's a pretty full on time, so mm. I don't blame you at all. What is the trend that you're most excited about in, in customer experience and marketing? I'm getting quite into the identity management and, and data sharing. So the, the, this whole space of first party, second party, third party data, the concept that different businesses could share data between them. And, and that's not just, say, a, an advertiser and a media owner. It, it could be two brands working directly with each other. Really, there's a growing expectation from customers to have personalised experiences. And the way to deliver better personalised experiences is to know more about the customer, to collect more data on them. Um, so bringing that data together to get a, a more rounded view of the customer, I think, is is the way to go. And it's... Um, it's important to say that this is not just about um, grabbing data and bringing it together. It needs to be led by the customer. It needs to be a better experience for the customer. If it's not ultimately driven by um, the customer experience, it all falls over. They'll they'll stop handing their data over. So um, it, it is a change from a customer experience to think that data will be used more extensively. But I think as long as that value exchange is there and the customer sees the value, that will become um, more acceptable. And and businesses need to treat that data with care and um, you know security, privacy. They're, they're all very, very important things. Yeah. Um, and something that consumers are becoming much more aware of you know, yeah. now around the you know privacy and um, security of their data. Yeah. And, and we can't get it wrong for that reason. Yeah. yeah. Stakes are too high. <laughs> um, what is the trend in this industry that you wish would change or stop in some way? For me, it's this is an easy one. It's short-termism. We're, we, we have more data. We can measure more things. Uh, and typically, people like to be accountable. So that leads us to doing the things where we can measure the results. And, and typically, those things that can be measured are the short-term things or the things where we get the results first are obviously the, the short-term things. So we're making shorter and shorter um, term decisions, which is not good. Uh, and, and that's not just in the, the marketing space. That's everywhere. We look at the political world. There are decisions being made to to get to the next election. And, you know, I think we should have a lot longer term so that there are decisions being made that are right rather than what's um, next on the list. Uh, CEOs, boards, investors, you name it, everyone's making much shorter decisions. Uh, and I think there's a real risk that um, that backfires. And last one, then you're off the hook. Um, if you could tell someone 10 years ago one interesting thing about how innovations in tech would transform, you know, how we connect with our customers, what would that thing be? Uh, so I think in the last, I guess, decade, obviously technology has been a big part of um, changing the way we live our, our lives and and how we market to consumers. And, and I think the role of technology has been very overt. We we know that technology is changing and that's because we have to adapt to the technology. So you get a new phone or a new device, you have to learn that new operating system. Um, you get a new piece of software at work or wh whatever it might be. There's always a new platform, a, um, a, a new interface that needs to be learned. It's, it, it's not easy for a, um, an individual to go through that process. But I think we're, we're sort of reaching the point where through AI and and, um, and the like, 
that um, interaction or that integration with our lives will be much less overt. It will just sort of just work where, um, you know, where voice is an example. You, you just, uh, we've got Alexa and, and Google Home set up right next to each other and we play them off against each other. But <laughs> you, you can just talk, I, we've run out of this, can you order some more? Or what's the answer to this? It, there's no interface to learn. It just works. The, the, the system can talk to you. So, um, I guess you, you get in a Tesla car and when the road rules will allow for it, the car will just drive. You say where you want to go and the car will take you there. Uh, you walk into an Amazon store in the US and uh, you can fill up your trolley and walk straight out. You don't have to go to a checkout. You don't have to log into an app and check your things and scan barcodes. It, it just works. So I think technology will play an even bigger part, but we won't realise it. We mm. won't be thinking about that fact. Much more seamless. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Are there any last kind of thoughts you wanted to leave our listeners with? No, I, I, thanks for uh, having me. I've enjoyed it. Thanks so much for joining us, Sam. On the next episode of the Reimagine Marketing series... We'll be playing the full interview with Justin Theng, Customer Intelligence Specialist at SAS, followed by Rachel McDermott, Associate Director of CX at Optus. Stay tuned. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, comment, and tell anyone that you know that is interested in this industry about this podcast and your favorite episode. You can find Astroncast on all of the major podcast players, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Go to ashtonmedia.com.au slash ashtoncast for more info. This episode was produced by Podpaste and Ashton Media here in Sydney, Australia. Executive produced by Justin Theng, Stephanie Downs and Stacey Gota. Supervising producer Darren Lake. Audio production, sound design and engineering by Eamon Connolly. Story writing producer Charles Montano. And podcast management by Michelle Lee. Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media.